Good morning. I ask you to open in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 13. Mark's Gospel, chapter 13. Last week, as we began, we began our series on commission, what it means to be given the task by Christ as his church to go into all the nations. And so in that sense, we want to look together uh, this week as well and the next two weeks on what it means for us as a church to be commissioned. Now this morning, I want to particularly discuss that part of the Great Commission where it says to all nations, to all nations. And so we're going to see that in Mark's Gospel, chapter 13. If I were to say to you, many of you, most of you, I would assume in this room, would know the name Lottie Moon. Now, you have heard us say her name many times. At the end of every year as Baptists, we say her name. And, and quite honestly, uh, someone who is well known here at Taylor's First is Lottie Moon. And, and probably the most famous Southern Baptist in all of history is Lottie Moon. She was born Charlotte Diggs Moon in 1840 in Virginia. In 1873, she felt the call to follow her sister. She was not the first. The first was Edmonia Moon, which went by the name Eddie. You probably would too. But Eddie, she went to China, and Lottie followed her sister to China in 1873. Appointed by the International Mission Board, at that time was known as the Foreign Mission Board. Lottie was a woman who believed God's word. She believed the truth of Jesus Christ as the salvation and hope for the nations. She believed that it was her duty to go just as the Lord had called her to go. And she dedicated herself to Christ and his great commission, the gospel to all nations. In 1888, she, was, she urged or saw the great need about the fact that there was not enough workers as the command in the Great Commission was to go to all the nations, and she's there serving in China, she sees this great need. There's not enough here. There's too much work to be done. So she urges, she urges Baptists in the South to take up an offering called the Christmas Offering for Missions in, missions in 1888, which took up $3,300. At that time, that was able to put three new missionaries on the field in China. That Christmas offering for missions became known as the Lottie Moon offering. And since 1888, it has accumulated over $1.5 billion for the sake of the gospel going to the nations. She served in China for 40 years, 40 years faithfully. And not only did she give her life to serve amongst the people of China, she really changed the way we as Southern Baptists did missions. She inspired others to go. She helped bring the funds for them to go. She dedicated her life to this task. So convinced of God's call to go to the nations and entirely dedicated to the work she was called to do, she would often say, and this is my favorite quote of Lottie Moon, she would often say, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal until my work is done. I have a firm conviction that I am immortal until my work is done. Though she saw much danger, she saw great difficulties. She went through wars. She went through revolutions in China. She went through famines. She went through struggles. She knew that she would not die one second sooner than the Lord wanted her to. 
She knew that doing this task that she was called to do was what she has come to do. And she would continue her work until the moment the Lord called her to himself. And she will continue it to that very end. She tried to reach those who haven't heard was her commitment. She tried to take the gospel and do exactly what Jesus called her to do to make disciples of all nations. In our passage this morning, as we consider our tasks here, as we consider what we are called to do as disciples, I want us to see that what was true for Lottie is also true for this church. That this church will be here faithfully committed to the work until the Lord is finished with us. Until the Lord is finished with us. And while we are here, we should be about that work. We should be about that work. We've been commissioned as a people to go to the nations with the gospel. And we will continue to do that until Jesus returns. Until Jesus returns. In Mark 13, Jesus begins to speak about that. He begins to speak about the end, about when it would come and how it's all going to go down. His disciples, like many of us, concerned about this question about the end. What will it look like? What will it be like? How's it going to go? Are there anything we can know before it comes? Should we be prepared in this way? They began to be concerned. And in particular, Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to Jesus and asked him this question. What about the end? Like many of us, concerned about that. And Jesus warned them. He warned them about signs. He warned them about wars. He warned them about rumors of wars. He warned them about natural disasters. He said all of these things must take place. They're coming. Don't be alarmed by them. He even warned them about being persecuted, telling them they will be beaten. They will be imprisoned. Anyone who follows me will face persecution, Jesus says. So all of these signs are coming. So if you're looking for the end, know this is what will be happening around the end as it comes. Then in a verse that is only in Mark's gospel, Jesus says, and this is my point this morning, Mark chapter 13, verse 10. Considering the end and when it would come and, and, and what's going to be happening, Jesus looks at his disciples, tells them all of these things, and then he says in verse 10, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Let me read that again. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Every time we go to it, we're not left guessing as to what it is you called us to do. You tell us clearly. Every time we look to your word, Father, we learn more about who you are and what we are to do. And so this morning, God, I pray that that's the case. I pray, Father, as we have gathered here this morning in this room, as we have sung praises to your name, as we have glorified you, God, I pray, Father, that you would be in our midst even now as we look to your word, that you would be changing hearts, transforming us into the image of Christ, maybe even calling some of us to go and leave this place to the nations, God. Please make that happen today. Father, help us as we seek to serve you by serving others, as we seek to honor you and glorify you, your name by reaching out to the nations. God, help us in our task and in our work. May we recognize that there's no glory to save for ourselves. All of it is yours. And the work that we do, Father, is for your name. And so, God, strengthen us in this as we look to this passage now. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. 
Amen. When Jesus says this statement to his disciples, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, when he states this, this is not a new sentiment he is offering. He's not bringing up some new thing that they haven't heard before. This is not some introduction of a new concept in Scripture. In fact, as we read the story of Scripture and that story unfolds, we recognize that the nations are at the very heart of what God is doing from the beginning to the end. And this morning, I just simply want to point out a few of those things. I want us to see first in this is that the nations were on God's heart. The nations were in God's plan from the very beginning. The nations were in God's plan from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 12, uh, God gives a promise to Abraham. And, and you need to recognize the context, context that that was in. In Genesis 10, we see the nations being split up. And then we find out why the nations were split up in Genesis 11. Because God had told them to, to spread out and fill the earth, multiply and fill the earth. But they had not done that. Instead, they had stayed there, collected right there together. And they had tried to build a tower to show God how great they were. And so God comes down and he confuses them and gives them different languages and he spreads them out. He forces them to go. And there in Genesis 11, you have the birth of the nations, if you will. Now, we recognize the promise of God that he's going to redeem this mess that was lost in Genesis 3. But when the nations are spread out in Genesis 11, it's kind of like, well, how is God going to make anything work out of this? There's nobody serving him. There's nobody following him. Now they're spread out and there's different languages everywhere. And Genesis 12 comes with this bit of hope. In Genesis 12, we find this one man named Abram in the Ur of the Chaldeans, right? And God calls him and he gives him a promise. And that promise has three parts. He tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land that will be yours, and through you, all the nations will be blessed. The very first promise of God, the very first promise of God there to Abraham in Genesis 12 is a promise that says, all the nations will be blessed. All the nations. At the very beginning, at the very first promise here, God says, the nations are in my heart and in my mind, I'm going after them. In Genesis 49, whenever uh, Abraham's grandkid, um, um, Joseph, had, uh, had this uh, great-grandkid, Joseph, had this thing where he, he brought his kids there. And, and Jacob, the, the, the patriarch, if you will, is brought to Egypt. And there the brothers are, and God's protecting them, even in a foreign land. And when, whenever Jacob then begins to pronounce his blessing upon his kids, he looks at Judah, and he tells Judah, from you, a lion will be born. We just sang about that, right? From you will come one like a lion, and this one who will come from you will rule all the nations, Judah. He will rule all the nations, not just Israel, but all of the nations. Isaiah spoke of the one that would be a signal for all the nations as well in Isaiah 11. This one who would come as the root of Jesse, if you will, that would bring salvation to his people and a signal for the nations. And this signal will be a light for everyone to see. Consider Isaiah 49, 6. Where Isaiah says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. 
All throughout the Old Testament, we recognize and we see that the Lord God has the nations in his heart from the very beginning. And what he is doing is he's bringing salvation to bring them back together again. My point in saying this is Jesus introduces this in Mark chapter 13, verse 10. This is not anything new. The nations are not plan B to God. The nations are not some parentheses, if you will. Something didn't work. Let's kick back and call an audible and go to the nations. No, the nations were the very heart of God from the very beginning. The nations were there from the start. Not plan B, not a parentheses to the mission of God, but his very heart. It was what he was after. He wanted them, he wanted them to know and be brought into the worship of the one true and living God. But not only see that from the beginning, we also see that the nations will be around the throne in the end. Not only were they on the heart of God from the beginning, God is going to make a way to secure the fact that they will be around his throne in the end. I just introduced you to Genesis 11. If you remember in Genesis 11, it's the story of the Tower of Babel. And, and, and really just to simplify what was happening in Genesis 11 is you have uh, all these people with one voice before God had spread them out, they had one language, one voice, and they had gathered together and they were seeking to make a name great for themselves. Gathered together, not spread out, with one voice, one language, seeking to make a name great for themselves and to show God how mighty they were. So they began to build a tower and their purpose for building that tower was to show God, you can't flood us out again. We're going to build it up high enough that you can't get the water up there to us. We're going to show you that you can't do this judgment again. And God, in his grace and his mercy, confuses their languages and spreads them out throughout the world. Again, that's the birth of the nations. But how does this work then? Because you get to Revelation 7. Genesis 11, they're spread out speaking a different language because they had tried to make a name great for themselves. And now you have Revelation 7. And in Revelation 7, you have John with this picture that he sees. He looks into heaven. And he says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. John's looking around the throne and he says, there's a crowd no one can number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Here he says, now everybody from all the nations have gathered back together. They were all together in Genesis 11 with one voice and they were making a name great for themselves. They were spread out because, because of that all throughout the world. But now they've all gathered back together around the throne. And here where it says they cried out with a loud voice, this is singular. They have come back together singing with one voice again. But they're not making a name great for themselves. They're making a name great for God and his salvation. And he says with one voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. How did... How did we get there, right? How do you go from Genesis 11 and everyone spread out with different languages to Revelation 7 and everyone brought back together with one language again, making a name great for God? From the beginning to the end of Scripture, the nations are what God is after. And Revelation 7 proves that he will get the inheritance that is waiting for him that Psalm 2 told us about. And how do we get from Genesis 11 to Revelation 7? Well, the first way we get there is through God sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for his people. 
We get there first because of the person and work of Jesus and what he has done. And when we read the Bible, we need to recognize this is not a book about how we can find God. This is a book about how God has come to us. This is a book about how God has pursued after us, how he has come after us looking for us, and he even comes after us by sending his own son. And when we think about the nations who are desperately trying to find, the, find something to have meaning in life, we recognize that the problem is they could never, in all of their years, and all of their lives, they could never find God. Their roads don't lead to him. In fact, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. In fact, they're lost and undone. And the only hope that they have is the same hope that we have, that God would come to us in the midst of our sin. That God would find us and pursue after us and come after us. And as the old preacher always called the Holy Spirit, right? The hound dog of heaven. We who have gathered in this room have been hunted down by God and his grace and his mercy. And he's pursued us and saved us and called us out of our sin. That's how the nations will be gathered back together. The active work of the Son of God in pursuing after his people. Jesus Christ has done it all. Jesus Christ has accomplished it. And there in Psalm 22, we find it. You remember Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quotes this Psalm on the cross. And though he quotes that at the beginning, you recognize the end of Psalm 22. Yet I have been beaten. Yet I have been undone. Yet the wolves have surrounded me, the nations will praise you, O God. Or the psalmist in Psalm 67, let the nations be glad, Lord. Let them sing with joy. We know today that because of what Christ has done and what he has done for us in his death, burial, and resurrection, how he has pursued after us, we can rejoice that everything needed to bring the nations back together in Revelation 7 has already been accomplished. Now you just must believe. You must believe in his person and work. You must believe in what he's done. You must believe in who he is. You must believe that. You see, we go from Genesis 11 to Revelation 7 because of what Christ has done for us. And because of the faithfulness and obedience of his disciples, his followers, the church. There's nothing left for us to do other than proclaim his name. Which brings me to my third and last point. A disciple of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus goes after the nations. A disciple of Jesus goes after the nations. They're in God's heart from the beginning. They will be around the throne in the end. Jesus Christ has done everything needed to be done to bring them around the throne. And now what does Jesus say to his followers? Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus says, I am calling you. I am putting this privilege upon you that you are to go and proclaim my name everywhere. If you look back in the beginning of Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, that passage is there that kind of gives testimony to the disciples' call, right? What it means to be a disciple. And I mentioned this last week. If you're, if you're a child of God, if you've repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in God, then you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of him. And this verse here, whenever Jesus is walking by the sea and calls his first disciples out, kind of gives us idea of what it means to be a disciple. Jesus looks at them. They're out there fishing. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. 
That's what it means. He's, he's called us into a relationship with him to follow him. And he's transformed us to work and bring about his glory through seeking after others who are lost. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, I must admit, as I read that most of my life, I considered Jesus to be really a cool dude. I mean, he's, he's witty, right? He's talking to fishermen. He makes this happen. And he's saying like, man, he just takes that moment and he just flips it on them. Y'all are fishing for, for fish out here. Y'all are trying to catch fish. I want you to go and catch men. And Jesus just uses that word picture and that picture right there just to turn it on them and say, now it's time for you to go after men. Like, That's good how he does that, how he uses that, how he's witty to bring that about and to, to talk about something they can relate to and, and turn it into something he wants them to do. But like anything else, when we read our Bible, not just is Jesus witty, which he is, but it's not just that. There's something deeper going on in this call. As I always heard from my seminary professor, every time I had a question, I was, it was always this response, you need to read your Bible more. And I was like, thanks, I appreciate the answer. You know. <laughs> Go read your Bible, Josh. Go look deeper. And so as we look at this, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, we recognize the Bible is one book with one story flowing all together. And what's happening here is not Jesus introducing a new concept. Jesus is calling upon the prophecy of the Old Testament to say, now's the time for us to go to the nations. If you turn to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 16. In the book of Jeremiah, God's people had been disobedient. They'd been disobedient and God was going to punish them and Babylon was going to come in. That's why Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because Israel uh, is taken off captive and Jerusalem is destroyed and, and God punishes his people. But though God will punish them, though he will discipline his people, we praise God he will never divorce them. Amen. And he stays faithful and he says, though you've been punished and though you've been disciplined, there's coming a day when I will go after you again. And the people of God were spread out all amongst the nations, if you will. And God is saying, you need to know this. You need to know that you have sinned. And because of your sin, there has been, there's been punishment. Because of your sin, there's been judgment. But there's coming a day when I will call you all back to myself from the nations. And in Jeremiah 16, that's exactly what the Lord says. After saying you'll be punished, after saying you'll be judged, he then says he will restore his people again. And how does he put it? In verse 16, he says, Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. In other words, the Lord is saying, my, my people are spread out amongst the nations, but there's coming a day when I'll send out those like fishermen who are going to bring in my people again. There's coming a day when I will send them out amongst the nations and, and call them back to myself and not leave them out there as orphans, but bring them in as children from every tribe, from every nation, from every place. There's coming that day. And Jesus, as he steps up here to the lakeside and he looks out to these men, he says, today is the day. The kingdom is here and the time has come we're ready to go call the nations back to us come and i'll make you fishers of men he's hearkening back to the promise of jeremiah and what i mean then to say is this what i want you to hear is this truth that at the heart of what it means to be a disciple built into the very call of what it means to be a disciple is the nations think of the great commission itself after Jesus has done everything needed to do to bring salvation, he looks at his disciples and he says, now you go. You go and you make disciples of all nations. 
of all nations. So what is Jesus then saying in Mark's gospel, chapter 13? He's saying something very important, I believe, for us. As we move through this life, there are going to be many distractions. As we move through this life, there are going to be many things that are going to try to take us off our mission or our task. And as the disciples ask this question about the end, Jesus wants to make it clear. Listen, the end is coming, period. Jesus will return for his people. Just as he came the first time, he will come back. The end is coming. And as it comes, you need to know there are going to be great distractions for you. There are going to be wars. There are going to be rumors of wars. There are going to be persecutions. There's going to be beatings. There's going to be famine. There's going to be strife. Believe it or not, there may even be pandemics. Nobody believed that, by the way. There'll be natural disasters, he says here. Earthquakes will come. There's going to be so many things. And I think what's happened throughout history is we've read these as signs to be looking at everything, right? We're trying to figure out when the end is coming. And we, every time we hear of a war, have an earthquake. Well, Jesus must be coming back soon. We look at these as signs. And Jesus is not meant for these to be signs for us. He's not meant for us to try to read the times. He's told us very clearly, no one knows when I'll come back. You be ready. You be ready. He's not looking to these as signs. What Jesus is saying is that all of these things may become distractions to you. He wants to warn them that it's coming. Earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, famine, strife, persecutions, beating. All of it is coming. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. In other words, stay focused on the task. Stay focused on what may be coming but focus on the task. Don't stay focused on what's coming. Be focused on the task. So much can take us off our task. So many things can distract us from what God has called us to do to reach out to the nations. And we must not let it. That's what Christ is saying here. Both individually, so many things can take us off of our task of what our calling is as disciples. We must not let it. As a church, so many things can take take our minds off of what we are to be doing. And we should recognize wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes. It's been bad for a while. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? The good old days ended in Genesis 3. And so here we come, and we say all of these things are here, all of them are there, but it doesn't change who we are and what we are to be doing. It doesn't change what our calling is. No matter what may happen, earthquakes, famine, strife, pandemics, persecutions, beatings, none of that changes what we are called to do because first, the gospel must be proclaimed before the end comes to all nations. As disciples, we've been commissioned to reach the nations, period. Until Jesus returns, this is our work. Until Jesus comes back, this is what we are called to do. Now, let me go ahead and end some, some frustration some of you may have or some question you may come to me because I, I, I want to do this in the nicest way I can because I've heard it so many times. Some may object. Well, we're always focused on going to the nations. What about here in our community? What about here amongst us? We got we to gotta consider them. Let me quote C.T. Studd, a missionary to China and Africa and has a great name, by the way, C.T. Studd. He said this, the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest nearest home. 
The light that goes the farthest, shines the farthest into darkness, shines the brightest, closest to home. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, I have never found a church that is going to the nations and not going to their neighbors. I've never found that place. Because you see, when God calls us to understand our mission and task to go to the nations, we understand that starts here and goes from here. And we shine as bright as we can in this place. And those around us will see that light just as we go to the nations to see that light as well. And such is the case here. Like me, some of you may be here for the first time. The legacy and tradition. Oh, that's my second time, so don't, don't put that down. The legacy and tradition and opportunities that we have here at Taylor's First to reach people locally, nationally, and to the nations are unprecedented, I believe. The opportunities before us to reach into our community are ones that we should be thankful for. And our staff, Pastor Jeremy, Miss uh, uh, Miss Kathy, all of them have done so great at giving us opportunity after opportunity. And I know you already know this, and I know I'm new to the scene, but I just want to make it clear as I stand here in this pulpit, as a church, we are committed to carry out our commission to reach the nations every single day. And that commitment cannot and must not change. That's what we're called to do. That's who we are. That's in our DNA. So the question then becomes, what about you? I think there's three types of people in the church. Three types of people. There's those who go. And I pray as I look around this room, I pray that there are many of you, even now, possibly the Lord stirring in your heart that you need to go. You need to go to the nations and you, you read that passage in, in the Great Commission and it says go and make disciples and the Holy Spirit speaks into your heart just as you read that passage and you don't read that go like everybody else goes. You read that go as it's time for you to get up and to go. It's time for you to move on and I can promise you that we as a church in every way will support you. We will celebrate this and we will rejoice that the gospel will go forth from here to the nations. Some of you need to go. Not go away mad. Go away with a heart full of the gospel of Jesus Christ to take it to the people who have never heard. But then there's also the senders. You may be saying, Josh, that's not, that's not, it's not me. I'm not a goer. Well, by all means, you should be a sender. The senders are the ones who support those who go. The senders are the ones who pray for them. And, and please don't underestimate, don't underestimate the power of prayer for our missionaries. Don't underestimate what that means to them and what it does as we call upon the Lord to protect them and provide for them. Some of us need to be the ones sending, praying, intentionally praying for them, providing the resources needed for them to go. Some of us need to be doing that, going. Some of us need to be sending. And as a church, we want to be known as a church that sends faithfully over and over again. And I said there's three types of people, right? There's those that are going, those that are sending, and those who are just plain disobedient. Because God has called us to the nations. And if you are a disciple, if you're a disciple of God, then that calling is upon you. And you may need to go. And you may need to send. But you don't have an option of doing neither. Or you're in disobedience to God. Or you're in disobedience to Him. 
We have so many resources here. Pastor Jeremy has so many resources. Prayer guides for our missionaries. Opportunities to serve. Love Taylors is coming up next month. Opportunities to serve locally. So many resources. So many opportunities here that there's no excuse for us not to be a part of what God has called us to be here as a church. And if you're new, if you're a guest with me, I'm looking ready to jump in as well. Let's go. You're looking to serve. We have those chances. We have mission trips. We have places. We have everything you need to go and to be a part of it. We're supplying all of that as a church, and we're faithful to do that. Where do you fit in? Where's your role, and where's your part? I pray that the Lord works on you even now in that. There is nothing greater, I believe, for the believer than to long for the day that Jesus returns, right? I look forward to I, I used to think there was things I wanted to check off my list before Jesus came back. You don't know what I'm talking about. Wait, Jesus, I still got stuff to do, and I've realized in my old age now. I've realized that there's nothing in this life and in this world that could honestly give me more pleasure than Jesus Christ, my Lord. And whatever it may be, were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be a present far too small. Stack up everything in this life. Stack up everything you could hope for. Stack up everything you can long for. All the material possessions of this world, think that you could have them all and they would be nothing compared to Christ. And so we long for the day that he returns. The day that it's over. Pain and heartache, sickness. The day that the famines have done and the pandemics are truly out of the way. We long for that day. And Jesus says in here, when is that day coming? I'm not going to tell you, but I can tell you this. The gospel will be preached to all the nations first. So you long for the day that Christ comes back? Then let's preach the gospel to the nations. Let's preach the gospel to the nations together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. God, one thing is true. One thing is true here this morning is that you are mighty to save, God. You can reach into darkness and change lives. You change hearts. You make people who are far from you, you bring them close, God. And not only that, you allow us the privilege of being a part of it. So I pray, I pray right now in this room, Father, that you would be working on hearts and lives. I pray, God, that you would be stirring in, in hearts in this place. From our youngest to our oldest, is it time for them to go? to take the gospel to the nations. God, I pray that you would stir in every heart about what we can do to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to anybody and everybody we see. Give us the courage. Give us the boldness. Give us the understanding to recognize that this is the task we are to be about. All for your glory and your name, Father, we proclaim recognizing, God, that we don't come to the nations with a small message. We don't come to the nations with a little bit of hope. We come to the nations with the only hope that there is. We come to the nations with the name that is above every name. And so, Father, help us to be bold to proclaim that name. All for your glory. All for your glory, we pray this. Let's stand together and sing.